Are schools like prisons? Is forced education immoral, abusive, a human rights violation? And if so, what are the millions and millions of parents with school-going kids to do? If this is you, listen on. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. Hi, I'm Avital. My work focuses on empowering you, my fellow intentional yet imperfect parents, with actionable and inspirational and often alternative, countercultural and counterintuitive ideas to try on for size on your parenting journey. I just take what I learn because I'm super passionate. That's why I'm known as the parenting junkie. I'm a junkie for learning about human development and psychology and relationships from the ultra spiritual to the ultra scientific. I drink it all in. I'm fascinated by it. And then I like to break it down to bite-sized, digestible, and most importantly, actionable pieces for you so that your time can be leveraged. I know that the burden of reading all these books and taking all these courses is not for every parent. You have lives. You're busy people. I get that. That's what I'm here for. I'm going to share everything I learn in the most actionable way. And I do so without any form of judgment on you or on your choices at the end of the day. I mean, of course I judge. I'm human. We all judge. But I really make it a priority to have a guilt-free and judgment-free zone here in the parenting junkie world. So you take these ideas and run with them. You do what works for you and you don't do what doesn't. That's how we do it around here. If something here is bothering you or you feel upset about something you've heard, hey, That is totally fine. I get it. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings in any kind of way. And you can scroll on by if it isn't for you because parenting is nothing if not extremely diverse, right? There are so many varied approaches across different cultures and different times in history and many of them work beautifully. I'm going to share the ones that I think are most actionable, most modern in terms of the science behind them, in terms also of the spirituality behind them, and most evolved to a place that is conscious, caring, loving, and peaceful. Um, But that's just my approach and the the approach of the teachers that I learn from. Now, if you're wondering who do I learn from, I have a list of many of the books that I've read over at theparentingjunkie.com, and you can find it under my faves category. But we'll be revamping that soon and giving you even more books and even more resources. So watch out for that. Okay, today is episode number 28, and that means if you want the show notes for this episode, you just go over to theparentingjunkie.com forward slash 28. That's also the place to leave me your feedback, your comments, your thoughts, and your questions. I go in there, I read the comments, I answer them. And another place that I do that is on Instagram. So if you tag me at parentingjunkie on Instagram, shout me out in your stories. I so appreciate it. It helps to spread the word. It helps this be more discoverable for other parents and it just puts a smile on my face and makes it all so worth it when I see, oh my gosh, there's you, you're really listening. You are really listening. How beautiful is that? Thank you. Thank you for your time. 
Um, and I really want to thank anyone who leaves a review because I know I'm a bit of a reluctant review lever myself. It's annoying to have to go into the app and type out the review and press, press enter. It takes time. You're busy. I get it. And that's why I want to extend an extra thank you to just your regular old average person who left me a review just a week ago and said, I'm so glad I found this podcast. I love, love, love it. I have always struggled with being a perfectionist. So when it came to parenting, I aspired to follow all the parenting practices perfectly. When I couldn't do it or it didn't work with my baby, I felt like a failure. Avital drives home the idea of not having to be perfect and just doing your best and what works for your family. I love the advice of making parenting decisions based off of what is going to make you love parenting and what's going to help you parent from love. Her mantra, love parenting and parent from love is my new mantra as well. It's the only parenting advice I'll ever need. Thank you so much to that. And if you haven't left me a review yet, please head on over to iTunes and do so. I really appreciate them and they really help with all the algorithms to spread this podcast further afield. So if this has helped you in any way, that is one way to give back that I would so appreciate. So today, I want to share some thoughts uh, about school, about school. And I know school is just an umbrella term for so many different types of institutions, right? From the very small, crunchy, holistic, you know, homeschooled schools, all the way through to the giant industrialized factory line public schools and everything in between. And I also know that I am stepping into a minefield because there's so much, you know, just tension around education and around what's right for our children and around what's privileged and what isn't privileged. What are their rights and what are the, you know, the what what should each parent have to do, be obligated to do, and what are the laws where you live? And all of these different things come into play when we talk about education. It's I don't know, for me at least, it seems to be a very uh, taut and emotional topic. But I just want to soften the conversation a little bit. And I just want to talk about the imperfections and about the making those decisions within the realm of what's available, of what works. So a couple of stories to illustrate this. First of all, I follow one Instagram Instagram account of a mother who unschools her children. And if you're unfamiliar with the term, unschooling means that your children don't do any type of formal education unless they ask to, like taking a class. So they're not going to any preschools or schools, but you're also not doing any curriculums with them at home unless they ask to. So it's 100% child-led uh, education. And you you basically are just waiting for your children to say, hey, I'm interested in reading. I'm interested in writing. I'm interested in math. And the theory, and in many cases, the practice goes that children are naturally curious and naturally want to follow their own uh, educational path. They want to gain the skills that they need for the type of future that they want and for what they see around them in their culture. And they will ask for those situations. Not to mention the fact that just by nature of living in a home with parents and being exposed to the world, you're getting an education. You're watching your parents, you're learning from them, you're asking questions. You're going to be learning many, 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 if not all of the things that you need for a fulfilling life just by living, by going to the supermarket, by, you know, cooking dinner, by having friends over, by going on a trip, by going to the museum. So many unschooling parents will leave kind of, you know, a very, rich, uh, enticing and intriguing educational environment at home, but they're not forcing their children to sit down with a textbook, which is what might happen in many homeschool uh, situations. 
as opposed to unschool. So this is all a long-winded way to say that I follow an, an account on Instagram of a woman who unschools her children and she's really inspiring and she writes beautifully about it and she writes very passionately about it. And from her perspective... Um, let's just call her Rachel, although that's not her name, but let's just call her Rachel. Um, From her perspective, she thinks that schools are like prisons in the sense that children are forced to go there. They have zero freedom or choice in the matter. They're there for, you know, upwards of six hours a day, usually, um, you know, upwards of 300 days a year or whatever it is, many, you know, most of their time is spent there or a lot of their time, depending on the school. Um, And then within the school, they have no freedom either. They can't choose what they learn. They can't even choose um, where they sit. They can't choose when to stand. They don't have freedom of movement. They don't have bodily freedom. They can't go to the bathroom without getting permission. And they're also kind of coerced and pushed into this system of punishments and rewards, where if they don't abide by the law, of the authorities, i.e. the teachers, they'll get punished like a detention. And if they do, then they probably might get a reward like a good grade. And, you know, there is so much to back this up. If you've read John Taylor Gato's work, Dumbing Us Down or his other works, you'll see why this might be true and how a lot of this is relevant. I mean, how it's really true that there is a hidden curriculum in schools and they are there much of the time to teach children to conform, to teach children out of creativity, to teach children to be good little workers in a capitalist industrialist society, where they then go on to have, you know, not a teacher, but then a boss and to still have the clocking in and clocking out and the reward and punishment system. So it's pretty easy to paint a very dire picture of schools. And in their own ways, many of the different reader, uh, writers who I so admire, such as Ken Robinson and Alfie Cohn, these and other thinkers around schools and education paint a picture of schools. Uh, you know, in Ken Robinson's words, he says schools kill creativity Alfie Cohn uh, says that schools are feel-bad education, and he has a whole book about that called Feel-Bad Education, and that they're not really educating our children. The education that they're getting in schools is not the type of education we're all hoping for them to get, i.e. to become critical thinkers and lifelong learners um, and, you know, confident learners, but instead they're getting an education in uniformity, in conformity, in putting their head down, and in you know, studying for the test, not studying for the passion of learning. So all of this is to say that I understand this Rachel from Instagram's point of view. I understand why she says schools are like prisons. And just between you and me, in many respects, I agree. I think many schools uh, are like prisons in that they limit children's freedom and children's choice. And I also think they're very ineffective at the type of education that I want for my children. Hence, my children are currently not in school, which I realize is a big privilege. It's also something that we're lucky to be allowed to do in the state that we live in. But here's the thing. Not everybody can do what I am currently doing, and I may not be able to do it in the future, and I might not even want to do it in the future. One of the questions that 
you guys keep asking me is, what's your plan? What's your educational plan? What's going to happen next year? So just for the record, my eldest has currently just finished what would be second grade. So he's going into third grade. And um, I don't know what our plan is. If you ask me right now, if I had to sign on it, I would probably say that we're likely to continue on this kind of hybrid unschooling, homeschooling path. I say hybrid because we do have some curriculum that we follow. For my comfort level, I want to know that my kid is basically on par with math and basically on par uh, with Hebrew language, as he would be if he was in school. And, you know, the rest of the stuff we do in a kind of very loose, uh, child-led way. But I... I am a partner in that. It's not actually child-led, it's actually relationship-led. We do it together. We figure out what we want to learn and we find our path to that. So that's where I'm at at the moment. But coming back to Rachel on Instagram who says that schools are like prisons, I have, you know, an uncomfortable reaction when she speaks out so vocally about it and in such a dramatic, you know, use of language. And I guess... That's got to do with my own comfort level with it, um, but also with my knowledge of the fact that for so many parents and many of you listening, home education is not on your radar or is not an option for whatever reason. Now, I saw her actually respond to a comment like this, where someone said to her, you know, you're saying that schools are like prison and that forced education is abusive and that it's a, a, a human rights violation to force children to go to school. But you need to tone it down a little and be a little bit more empathic and compassionate for those parents who need to send their kids to school. And Rachel replied saying, no, I don't. I am an activist. I am rightfully angry about schools. They are detrimental. The system is broken and we need to break it and smash it to the ground and start something completely different because it's not okay that any child is forced to go to school. And she said she will not water down her message to make it more comfortable for people, which I respect. I understand her point of view and I respect it. Listen, she believes schools and forced education are a human rights violation and that she must speak out against them. And I admire her and tend to agree with the sentiment in many ways because of all the things I've just said. But the thing is that when people believe passionately about something, it is easy to become religiously single-minded to the exclusion of all other perspectives. And that's sometimes when we become dangerously close to losing the bigger picture and to losing the complexity of different people's experiences, different people's needs and morality and their lives in general and misunderstanding some of the deep, deep needs and identities that other people hold that are completely foreign to us. So if your children are going to school for whatever reason and you're feeling lesser than or you feel under attack by statements like these or you feel like you're failing them or you feel like the school experience isn't good enough and you're worried, then, you know, we have an issue. We have an issue and this is exactly what I want to address here. 
So you might deal with this issue and this feeling, this feeling of being torn between and defensive, right? About, "Ah, but I need my kids to go to school, but people say such bad things about school. Or maybe you yourself in your heart of hearts, or maybe not in your heart of hearts, maybe outright, maybe you yourself feel uncomfortable with school or with schooling or with the particular schools that are available to you. Maybe the school that is available to you has a big emphasis on competition, on grades, on winners and losers. Maybe the school that you have available to you has a huge emphasis on, you know, the cool kids and on looks and on brands and on uh, materialism and commercialism. And you're worried about that. Or maybe you're worried about bullying. Or you might be worried about the sugary and processed foods that a lot of schools use as treats and rewards and every birthday party or even in the school cafeteria. You might be worried about just health at school, right? Or you might be worried about homework load and pressure academically or the large classrooms. There are so many different things you might be worried about when it comes to school. But here we are, and we send our children to school with all these worries, and we continue to feel constantly guilty. So in this scenario, you're sending your child to a school that you're less than pleased with because you need to. And that could be because you don't feel the desire, the inclination to home educate. That could be because it's illegal to home educate in your school, in your state or your country. That could be because you can't afford to. You need to go to work and there's nowhere else for your kids to be. It could be for whatever reason. It could simply be because you want to send them there, but you still feel guilty. And in this scenario, you're spending your energy on worrying, right? You're feeling this guilt. And I have to ask you... And I have to ask myself this many a times, whenever we do something and we still feel guilty or unsure about it, we spend that energy worrying. And we have to ask ourselves, how does that serve our children? How is that worry going to be projected onto them? How is that worry going to be the energy with which we make their lunch and pack their bags and take them to school and drop them off or send them off on the bus? What kind of message are they getting from us about school? And is that going to help them to succeed in that environment? Say you've done your little soul search and you've decided your kid is going to school. If you keep carrying around that guilt with you, will it help? I'm sure you and I can both agree that it will not. So then sometimes the other thing that we do is when we feel this overwhelming sense of worry that it's the wrong choice is we make rash decisions, right? Like suddenly pulling them out of school or just deciding, you know, to quit your job and to home educate or uh, deciding to mortgage your house or take out a loan so that they can go to a different school, right? Trying to, you know, somehow pay for one of those uh, private Montessori Waldorf radio schools that maybe is not in the budget right now. Or maybe right now you're trying to finish your degree or finish your training in your career. And so you need your children to be in school until you can get a more stable or more flexible job or whatever it is. And we make these rash decisions. And I know because many of my clients have written to me saying, I don't know what to do. I'm sending my kid to daycare or to preschool and I don't love it. It's really far from perfect. They use, you know, the red, the, the red light, green light system and timeouts and the naughty chair. And, uh, you know, they do academics when the kids are four years old and I really don't love it. And I know it's not perfect because I've learned all this stuff from you, 
but now I don't know what to do. Help. Should I quit my job? Should I quit my degree? Should I, you know, should I pull them out? Should I stay home? And we run into this rash decision based on our perception of what is right or what is right for other people. And it's like, oh, I've seen, you know, this mom on Instagram who's homeschooling and she's got this, you know, lifestyle that I want. So I'm going to quickly try and create that lifestyle. Um, and we don't truly stop to take in the full picture of our own specific and unique and individual life and needs and resources, right? Our budget, our temperament, our support systems, our energy levels. We kind of jump into this picture and that's not healthy either, right? Because we put ourselves under immense stress, And I want to shout out one of my clients, one of my coaching clients who said to me um, along this line of this rash, you know, decision. And she, she, she booked a coaching session with me to talk about the fact that she loves her child's school. He's in an incredible, creative, lovely, warm, progressive school that is great for them on every level. Aside for one thing, which was that they started academics very early. And so she thought just to avoid these early academics, she should pull him out of school and homeschool him for a year and then put him back in school the year later so that he wouldn't do academics when he was in, say, pre-K. And in talking through this with her, I had this sense that this would be a huge upheaval. She has a job. She has a baby. If she was to pull him out, she would have to rearrange her life somehow and make space to home educate her child when they have a perfectly wonderful system set up in a great school that has one downside. Now, it, it sounds good. It sounds noble. It sounds like, wow, go you, you know, to this mom. Like I applaud you because you're really being so conscientious about every little aspect of your child's education and you're willing to pivot and be flexible and, and, and change according to the needs. But what we don't take into account is the hidden costs of these things. If he were to continue in the school, the cost is clear. The cost is right there on the label. The cost is early academics, which isn't ideal. Okay, we see that there's early academics. We know that that's not the best, but we know that that's the price that we pay, right? When we kind of weigh it all out on the scales, everything else is awesome. He's in a great environment. He has friends. He has lovely teachers. It's warm. It's loving, but there'll be early academics, which she didn't want. However, She's comparing that to some fantasy life of homeschooling, right? To some fantasy reality like, oh, if I bring him home, everything will be rosy for him and he won't have early academics and everything will be play-based and it will be beautiful. But she doesn't take into account the costs of that, such as a burnt out mom, a mom who somehow has to figure out her income without a job, ding, 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 big deal. A mom who hasn't got the social structure in place for homeschooling, so now has to reach out and figure all of that out, who has to build them a schedule, who has to find all the right, you know, materials and activities to keep her children uh, engaged throughout the day in in a healthy way and has to somehow find time for herself as well because now her child isn't in school. And suddenly when she compared it to a reality, she realized that that was not a good idea. And the price that she would be paying for him staying in school was much, much lower than the price of pulling him out in her unique situation. For her, her bank account, her budget, her temperament, her needs, her energy levels, all of that. 
it wouldn't have been worth it for her, for her child. And so suddenly she realized that that would have been a rash decision. So what I'm trying to get at here is that there is a discrepancy between what we see on Instagram, what we see, you know, on YouTube, this idealistic scenario of how to raise children, how to home educate and, you know, ditch schools because schools are like prison. And that whole activism is beautiful. I support it. I rally behind it. But I also think that what's crucial to bring into this conversation is a huge dollop of realism and of compassion and of self awareness awareness of where we're truly at and of what we can truly offer our children in this season. Everything changes and everything passes. Nothing lasts forever. And your perfect reality right now is your perfect reality right now. It's perfect and it's momentary and it passes. So if this is the school situation that you need to have right now, then that's what it is. And by the way, this goes for homeschoolers as well. If you are homeschooling and right now there is tension or there is so much screen usage or there is very little, you know, fun and education happening and connection with your children because you've just had a new baby or because money is really stressful right now, or because you and your partner are going through a rough time, or because you've just moved, or because of just life, because whatever, because it just happened, because that's the type of week you're having, or month you're having, or year you're having, that's okay. That's okay. It's perfectly perfect. It's perfectly allowed. You have perfect permission to just be in your reality and to make friends with your reality, with your school, with your educational path, with your current moment, whether you're living in a tiny caravan and going coast to coast with your children and living off the grid and completely disconnected from school, or you're in the public school system and you're having homework battles every evening and you're running around to soccer practice every afternoon. Any lifestyle that you're choosing for you and your family is okay and any lifestyle has its ups and downs and if you need school right now that is okay if you need school until your children are 18 if you choose school if that's what's right for your family that is okay so to come full circle back to Rachel on Instagram when she says she won't water down her message I kind of want to respond to that here and say that I will water down mine because I believe in the fluidity of water and I believe in inclusivity and I believe that yes we should change this, the education system in many realms. But I also believe that, yes, it is changing. And yes, we can only help parents to find great educational paths when those parents are stable and thriving. If you are pushed over the edge of your comfort zone because you are trying to live up to some idealized standard of home education that you can't reach right now because of your energy levels, your uh, support system, your budget, your resources in general, that doesn't serve your children either. I know it's not easy. It's not easy to hear this and it's not easy to, to, you know, 
implement it. I know for myself, I'm so resistant to sending my kids to any kind of mainstream school that I would probably bend over backwards and do a lot of twists and turns and contort myself into a pretzel to avoid it. I would, I fully admit that. In fact, I have. And I'm passionate about home education or about alternative educational schools. But I still think that we need to realize that it's okay if that's not part of your reality right now. It's okay if that's out of reach or if that's just not on your radar. It's okay if that's not what you want. Now I'm going to call in my close friend, mentor, and colleague, the one and only Dr. Shafali, to share her experience on this one. There is a prevalent education system that uh, for mainstream purposes to describe it, I would say it's quantitative, it's rigid, it's reductionistic, it's one size fits all. Now, I don't blame the education system. What can the education system do? It can't really be too flexible. So it kind of has this herd-like mentality. It is what it is. Now, many parents don't have a choice. When I enrolled my daughter in school, I wasn't wealthy enough to put her in a private school. I wasn't wealthy or flexible enough to have her be homeschooled. So I accepted my context. I accepted my reality and sent her shipping to the public school. Is it limited? Sure. Could it be better? Yes. But within my context and my milieu, psychological, social, financial milieu, that was the best I could do. And it's really taught me to appreciate the current education system despite its limitations. Is it grossly limited? Absolutely. It is primitive, archaic, traditional. Yes. But my child goes there because I encourage parents to respect the milieu that they're within not to ascribe to something that they can't do. In my fantasy, I want to homeschool. But in my reality, I know I'm not capable. I know I will not be able to. So I accepted my psychological limitation and my financial limitation, and I found the best context. So when people talk about aspirations for education, we have to understand that there's a real physical limitation. Houses may be too small, two jobs uh, of both parents, the financial limitations. So I can't just prescribe, you know, go to this forest school or, you know, take them home and just educate them at home. I think it would be out of touch of me to do that. So instead of putting pressure on parents, what I tell them is honor with humility, your social context, your financial context, your psychological context, and simply do what's best for both you and the child within that context. Now, if your child goes to school and they are being bullied and they are facing great psychological upheaval, yes, then you have to change the context. But again, trying to find the best happy medium. Don't feel pressured to put them in some elite school, which are really just glorified versions of public schools. Do not do that. You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. And you do the best you can as a parent and stop feeling guilty and stop idealizing one system over the other. Every system is flawed because it's a system. The fact that it's following a prescription is going to be flawed. So you do the best you can. And if you are in a luxurious position that you can hire people to come to your home, do it. If you can't, you're no lesser than. Ah, you gotta love Dr. Shefali, don't you? Shout out, my dear friend. Thank you so much. You know, what I take from Dr. Shefali is that we all need to calm the fudge nuggets down. 
we really need to calm down. Not everything needs to be exactly perfect or exactly according to plan or exactly according to Instagram. It's okay if we just do the normal regular thing. And that goes for food and that goes for screens and that goes for sleep and that goes for school. Whilst I am firmly in the inspirational, aspirational, uh, you know, camp of looking upwards to what we can do and what we can create for our children, for childhood and for education and a hundred percent yes to all of those things. I, you know, am striving again and again every day to create a creative and interesting and connected and joyful childhood uh, for them and for me. Um, but what I take from Dr. Shafali is that there are many ways of doing that and you can 100% be a conscious parent, a connected parent uh, and create a beautiful childhood. If your children go just to any regular old school, it's still possible. And to lead on from that, I want to say that you can also get creative there. You can change what you can. You can become an activist. You can rally. You can go in for meetings and join the PTA and speak to the school administrators and find creative solutions. You can also make your own, you know. So whether it's going into the school and showing them the latest research and partnering with teachers on how you can help make things more uh, creative or loosen the homework load or lower the use of grades and tests or drive more multi-age learning or inspire more of the learning that revolves around projects and less, you know, division by subject or push for there to be longer summer holidays and shorter school days and less adult intervention and supervision and less organized sports and more just plain old fun games. All of those things are great ideas. I mean, all of those involvements and in school reform are great. If you can do that, if you can kind of fight for a progressive cause in your school, and I mean educationally progressive, I, you know, I strengthen your resolve and I encourage you but I also have a lot of friends who are doing their own thing, who are hacking the system. In a sense, that's what I'm doing. But I want to shout out to one of my present play members who thought she would never be a homeschool mom, not in a million years. And she told me so in several coaching sessions that it was not for her. She was not cut out for it. And she made several attempts in mainstream schools. And the truth is that it wasn't for her son. And the schools told her so in no uncertain terms and basically said that they need to leave. And when her son didn't fit into the mainstream school system, she found herself without a choice and she hacked the system. She found this forest school that's an hour away and they do that for a couple of days a week. And then she hires, uh, you know, someone to take him here and someone to do that with him. And then the other day he goes to this program and one day he's with her husband and one day he's with her and they figure it out. Is this privileged? Yes, of course. I know I always have to make that disclaimer, but it's possible. It's possible for some people and it may be possible for you. I myself went on a long journey until I re realized that I was totally a school hacker. I was definitely all about hacking uh, the and picking and choosing the different parts of school that work and don't work for us and finding those programs. But the beautiful thing is that I've now made friends with many people who are starting their own programs. They rent out a space, a martial arts studio, a dance studio, 
a play center, uh, you know, a church. They rent out a space and all the kids meet and a bunch of families do it and they figure it out. They figure out the budgeting, they figure out the licensing, they figure out the pedagogy, they figure it out. And so you can get creative. You can change what you can, you know, change the things that you can change, be the change. How do you think, you know, school reformation happens? How do you think laws change in your country? How do you think uh, creative schools get started? Creative schools get started by creative people just like you who feel a pain and want to address it. And I certainly have that dream in my heart, that song in my heart one day to start my own community of learners. And there are many places that actually can help you do that, such as Acton, I believe it's called, Acton Schools, are one, uh, are one place that are doing this and popping up and creating these creative school communities. Some of them are more academic, some of them are less academic, but they're all very creative. Or agile learning centers also. And you know, many of these places offer teacher training, not to be a teacher, but to be a facilitator where you can start your own program even in your living room. So there are ways of doing this, and I know so many people who have. And finally, we need to accept what we can't change, right? We need to accept ourselves, accept our reality, accept the times that we live in, accept the schools that are available to us. You know, make all the changes you can. Move country, move state, start a school, pull them out, do anything creative, barter with friends to take care of each other's kids while you're working, whatever it is. But if you can't do any of that, you have to accept your reality. Just like Dr. Shafali said, you have to accept the system. You have to accept the teachers, whatever you cannot change, the homework, the grades, the bullying. These are things that we need to work with. Not, I mean, obviously you're going to want to fight any bullying and even fight grades and homework loads and that kind of thing. We're going to want to fight it. But sometimes we also need to learn that this is par for the course. This is part of our culture. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's all part of the package. And sometimes we are in a period of our life where we can't, we can't make changes right now. We don't have the energy or the resources or the budget or the voice or the connections or the time or frankly, the inclination. If you're okay with the school as it is, if it's not something too terrible, you know, like Dr. Shafali said, is it deeply unconscious? Yes, it's deeply unconscious unconscious. It certainly is. The school systems, many times they are. Some are not. Some are improving. Some are doing great, but some really are. But that's life. C'est la vie. This is what we have to work with. And so we need to accept that. And then we can start to get creative from a place of acceptance of, okay, and how do I show up to that? How do I respond? How do I respond to homework? How do I respond to my children after school and before school and the weekends and the holidays? How do I make those times the conscious times? How do I make those times? And believe me, those are incredibly powerful. That's really where we have our power as parents is those times that we spend with our children. How can we make those be the creative times, the times of connection, of peace, of presence, and of play? Thanks for listening to The Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you.
And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.